Are you ready for the ultimate true crime experience? Get ready to dive deep into the world of mystery and justice. Introducing Without Warning Podcast. Vordire, French for to speak the truth, is the process through which potential jurors are questioned by either a judge or a lawyer to determine their suitability for jury service. In this episode, we talk about the jury selection process for the Jonathan Cruz trial. We take you, the listeners, into the first day of jury selection as we examine their body language, eye contact, and answers to the juror questionnaire, as well as their answers to questions from the Cruz's attorney, Tom Shaw, during their selection. What is a perfect juror for this case? A perfect juror would be someone who can remain impartial, unbiased, and open-minded as they review evidence and listen to testimony from witnesses. Listen along as we take you behind the bar into Vordire. Tom, can you explain to us what jury selection is called? Sure, uh, and thank you for having me on. Uh, jury selection, depending on what part of the country you're in, is either called Vordire or Vordir. Or, as Joe Pesci says in this clip from My Cousin Vinny, now, if Mr. Trotter wishes to voir dire a witness, which is literally from Latin, speak truth. What is the process that you do preparing? What you try to identify prior to actually selecting a jury is generally the type of person that would be uh, able to assess the information you're providing and hopefully uh, process it in a positive way. In this particular case, the Cruz case, it's pretty easy because really what you want is a family person, a, a person who values the family and hopefully someone who is willing to affirm to the family that their, their son had, their son's life had value. And that's the way I tried to present it from jury selection to final argument is not making it about dollars and cents in an economic sense, but that their son's life had value. Cruz's deserved vindication um, in, in the form of dollars, which is the only thing we can assess value in in this environment in the courtroom affirm to the cruises that their son didn't commit suicide going in front of a jury choosing the people that are going to make the decision you have a pool of people can you kind of talk about that process sure that's the voir dire and each side gets a certain amount of time uh, Judge Montgomery was very generous with the time. I think we had 90 minutes, if I'm not mistaken, but I don't think I took the entirety of that that time period. You ask questions and you get the jury talking and you see if there's anyone that you really don't want on the jury that, that gives you bad vibes or... Um, you don't like their body language. Uh, there's an objection called the Batson objection, which means you can't disqualify, you can't uh, uh, cut anyone or strike anyone because of their uh, their race. 
And in this particular matter, that that was to me that was irrelevant. I, I thought white, black, brown, you know, Asian, whatever. Uh, everyone is going to relate to family and the value of having family members uh, be at the dinner table. There was one particular juror that stood out to me. Every single time a question was asked in the negative, you know, to rule out people, he raised his hands to make sure he was on the record saying he was not going to agree with anything. Is that normal? Yeah, it, it, there's always one uh, naysayer in the group. I had forgotten. I thought you were going to say something else, but I'd forgotten that particular uh, Uh And he was very, um, uh, he was unique in, in that group. He made and, sure that we knew he was not going to be a good jury member, correct? Well, I'm not sure that he did that or he just wanted everyone to know what his point of view was. Well, and oftentimes... There were two. There were two guys, one in the front row that right. wanted to get out of it. You know, he was too busy. He had a business. And then the other guy who wanted his, he had the hat on. What kind of hat was that, Danielle? He, anyway, a fedora or something. And he wanted you to know his opinion on everything. And he asked you, right. is that normal? Well, yes, to a certain extent it is, um, but you try to turn it back um, because it, it doesn't help to find the, the right people for them to ask me questions. And the judge wouldn't likely allow me to answer the question, um, even if I tried. So that's – there's always – one of those and it's it's kind of the the difference is how much they talk these particular two that you're describing were um different sides of the of the talking a lot one who wants to make sure that you know that they're they're not going to be on the jury and then the other who just wants to verbalize their point of view and it's usually not a normal, um, in, in my experience, it's it's someone who um, has an unusual point of view who wants to share that with the whole room. In regards to the ideal jury for the Cruz family, was there a part of the selection that they fill out a questionnaire? Were there certain things that you look for in that questionnaire? As far as did they have a son Jonathan's age or did they have a daughter Brenda's age? Are there certain things that the plaintiff side and the defendant side would think is the ideal juror for the case? Yes um, and no. The, 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 Danielle, that, that's an interesting question because it goes to the heart of, of some disagreements in the bar as to whether or not you can formulate a kind of a a picture of a perfect juror, the picture of an imperfect juror. And I'm of the opinion that it you you can't formulate the, the picture of a perfect juror that you have to talk to these people. The 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 panel 
and determine from the actual talking to the jury and answering the questions, hopefully truthfully. Um, and that gives you a picture of whether or not they're going to be um, neutral, favorable, or unfavorable. In the jury selection, there was a juror that mentioned his friend had committed suicide. I do want to address that a little bit more. I asked um, a question that elicited from the person who I believe was either the foreman or the foreman's uh, confidant. Uh, there, there were two jurors in particular, two male jurors. One, I think, ended up um, living in Ohio. I think he moved to Ohio um, at at some point uh, between the the dateline and and the trial. We talked about um, a person who is uh, falls from a window, and uh, the immediate belief is that. The person's committed suicide because he appeared to fall from the um, uh, from the uh, uh, building through a window, and then you find out that he and his he's divorcing his wife, um, that he's been uh, threatened by uh, people, that uh, his wife bought a and life insurance policy three days before his death and that uh, people knew that once you interviewed his family that he'd just gotten a new job and was very happy and was about to move out of his home. Um, and that was describing this situation without describing it and the the people on the jury panel i asked them you know how do you feel about a situation where it initially looks like a suicide and once you look into the circumstances that it appears to be something other than that from the defense angle that is an ideal juror for you because they are set up to believe in suicide and Jonathan potentially before it started could have committed suicide. I thought that it was very telling for us to want him as a juror because we were so strong with the evidence that it would prove that Jonathan did not commit suicide. And this guy is more of an expert in the group than anybody. That, that's uh, you've got a good memory on that on that uh, detail. Um, that particular juror, I believe, would have known what's really a suicide and what's not since he lived through it. Now, other lawyers might view it differently. They might view it as as antithetical to their case that one of the you know one of the jury panelists had had experience with suicide in this case to me it was so obvious that 
he couldn't have placed the gun where he had to place it and commit suicide. It just made no sense. And that's where, you know, the argument is you can't leave common sense at the door. Do you remember some of the questions that were asked of the jurors while you were selecting them? And I asked them uh, how they felt about guns. And that was an interesting question because um, even the judge noted the number of, of people that owned a gun and that that you have used the gun, you know, at a gun range or, or have cleaned it or, or done whatever they were going to do with their gun. Um, she said, only in Texas are you going to get 60 or 70 percent of the people being very familiar with guns and having used them. And that was uh, that was a good a good uh, a good sign. Um, as it turned out, it was an excellent sign because the one of the people who is probably one of the most proficient gun owners ended up being the jury foreman. If you were on the defense side, Tom, what would you be looking for? Boy, that's a t- that's a tough question, Sheila, because I thought Andrew G was was up against a tsunami of of evidence, presumptions, personalities. I think I probably would have wanted younger people because they might have been able to relate to Brenda more than they would relate to the Cruz family. I think the jury was very fascinating to watch when the text messages were shown up on the screen. I mean, you could see them shaking their head in disgust or un- in, be- in disbelief in what that they, you know, the evidence that they were seeing. They were very involved in the evidence that you presented. Trying a case like this, I try not to look at the jury because I'm I'm afraid that they think that I'm reading something into them that I might not be. I rely on, you know, sharp people like you and and Sheila in in this case and Taylor Shaw and the and the clients to a certain extent, though I didn't want them uh, make observing the jury and making them feel uncomfortable. We had so many people in the in the gallery that were helpful to to us that um and after the 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 trial day was over they would they would consult with you guys and if you thought it was appropriate they'd talk to me and that was very helpful because they were there were reactions that I couldn't see and I didn't want to um look like I was mugging for the jury or putting on a show because then I, I would lose credibility because that's not very genuine. And what I tried to convey to the jury was a genuine uh, caring for the Cruz family and the case. You don't read the jurors while you're presenting your case then. You don't pay attention to them. You just give your evidence. I present the evidence that I think um, is appropriate under the circumstances, and I let the evidence speak for itself until final argument. And that's when it's my job to uh, put the pieces of the puzzle together. Hopefully they've gotten the puzzle before final argument, but it 
reinforces, hopefully, the conclusion they've drawn. I it's always better for someone to come to a conclusion without you suggesting the conclusion has been my experience. In your experience, do you think that juries need to like the attorneys? No, they don't need to like me. I I just, I need to be, they need to, they need to listen to me and they don't have to, to like me to listen to me. I, I don't want to be offensive and I try not to be offensive, but I I don't go out of my way to be likable because I I don't think that's appropriate for me in in the way I present a case because it just inserts something into the case that I'm telling the jury not to consider. I think it's almost as if you would put a curtain in front of the jury. You can't see them. They can't see you. It doesn't matter what the jury is made up of. Male, female, young, old, black, white, Asian. It doesn't matter. What matters is the evidence that's presented. And if they believe the evidence, that's all that counts. But I also think the demeanor of an attorney matters. If Tom was combative and angry, I think that would have turned him off. Don't you think? Yes. Yes. I I like to think that they really should look at the evidence that's presented, however it's presented. And if they believe the evidence, they might not like you. But if they believe in the evidence that shows that Jonathan was killed. We've got to go down this road because I think I'm disagreeing with you, with Danielle on this, Tom. I and maybe with you, because I think that juries have to have, maybe like is the wrong word, a respect of your work. I get that. And if you. I'll, I'll, I'll buy that. And, and if I'm, if I'm genuine and they view my demeanor when I'm questioning John Cruz and when I'm questioning Brenda Lazaro as kind of the same tone, then I think I've I've achieved my desire to be um a genuine person and a a someone who's probing uh witnesses for evidence. I said that I'm not gonna be asking for sympathy. I I don't want you to sympathize. I want you to listen to the evidence and act as an appraiser. I had a, a person as a client who I consider to be one of the best lawyers that I know. And John Cruz was invaluable in connection with uh, evaluating the jury and helping me and helping Taylor to determine who we're looking for. And then once we had those persons, that that group of people to winnow it down to the best six. In this case, what's important, one of the important um, aspects to it uh, was the number of jurors, which in, in this particular uh, type of court, which is county court at law, there are six jurors, and in this case, we had six jurors and two alternates, just in case one or more of the jurors 
uh, got sick or had to leave for whatever reason that the alternates could take over. In this case, it was very unique in, in my mind as far as picking a jury because I had the facts, I had the law, and I had you know, the sympathy whether I played that card or not. So give me the first six in the panel or give me the next six. It's kind of like the that football coach, I think it was Don Shula said, or someone said about Don Shula, you know, he'll beat you with his 12 and then you take his 12 and he takes your 12 and he beats you again. But that it's, kind of goes back to what I was saying. Take the first six because we have the evidence to show any of the six or eight or 50 true yeah that's that's right even even the naysayer i think um because i only needed five of six um in other words it you just gotta have to remember with with a a jury of six you only have to get a a positive verdict in the non-punitive damages part The other thing I want to address is what a jury gives up to sit on the panel. And no, people get jury summons all the time and they want to, and this saying used to be, you're too stupid to get out of jury duty. I personally have been involved in cases where the jury made the difference in people's lives. So I think it's a big sacrifice and it should be commended that these people showed up and did their job and took it very, very seriously. And I could tell watching the jury how serious they were. That's right. They, the, the, probably the, the best indication that that was the case was when they stayed late Friday night uh, in order to resolve it. And the, detail that they went into in order to achieve a fair and just result for the crew's family gave up you know talking to their families about this case during the trial uh going to not being able to go to work not being able to being very uncomfortable in the chairs that they have to sit in And really not understanding and that what I tried to do again during Vordire is explain to them this part of the case is about picking the right six people for this type of case. You may not be the right person, but <clears throat> the purpose of, of these questions is to determine who is the right person to fit this case. And the first thing I said to them is this is an important case important to to Brenda Lazaro and important to my clients. And why is it important? Because their son was murdered and they're seeking justice. And the only way they can get justice is with you six people. The, The system has failed them. And now they're seeking redress through this system. I think, yeah, I think the jurors were phenomenal. They, like you said, they stayed late. I think it was two nights and it was past eight o'clock at night. You know, when Judge Montgomery would say, 
do you want to stay later? We can go over this tomorrow. They were always, no, we want to hear the evidence. We we're going to stay. We're going to get this taken care of. So they were very serious about the job that they were tasked with being on the jury. Without warning podcast, we'll keep you on the edge of your seat, questioning the truth, dissecting the evidence and demanding justice. Prepare yourself for the ultimate true crime experience without warning podcast available now on all major podcast platforms.